You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, <clears throat> we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God, and he won't forgive your tra- transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone, and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, This stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. It's the word of the Lord. Well, we are in the last two chapters of the book of Joshua. I wish we had more time in these two chapters, um, but we're going to do a big brief flyover uh, on how this epic account ends. We saw that at the beginning of Joshua, Joshua, there was a story of God's people having nothing. They having nothing in, in the press, and, but they had nothing except the presence of God's appointed leader, Joshua. And we have just seen this epic account as they have followed and entrusted themselves to Joshua's lead and have sought the face of the Lord. They now end with a people having everything. Don't they? Except now one thing is going to change as we come to the end of the book of Joshua. As we heard last week, God has already reminded Joshua of this. It's like, you're getting old, man. You're going to die. And so now we have this final moment uh, in the book of Joshua. And we're going to see what Joshua puts before the people. And we're going to see how this epic section in the story of the Bible fits within the larger story of the Bible. These closing chapters of Joshua, they're going to help us today answer this question. What is it you think you need to be able to follow God in your life? What is it you think you need to be able to live for God and follow Him in your life? You'll notice in these last two chapters of Joshua chapter 23 and 24, most of its words are dedicated to showing that God's people now have everything. 
They've got everything. Uh, verse 1, 23, the Lord has given them rest. They are at peace. They are relaxed. They've got the vineyards and the houses and the everything. The Lord has fought for them. They, and Lord has given them land. He's given them peace. There's still more inheritance to come. There's promises of God that He'll continue to fight for them. They have everything from God. They have rest. They have security. They have reputation. You are Israel. The one true God fights for you. They have peace. They have lands. They have power. Oh, it's good to be an Israelite. And they also have now these commands from, uh, these instructions from Joshua in these closing chapters. They have these pros and cons for them to maintain their course in this wonderful blessing that they've received. They have the reminder of God's story of his advocacy for them. And they have the reminder of God's promises, blessings, God's promised blessings to them if they continue in the way. And they also have not only the carrot, but there's also the stick. Joshua reminds them, he's like, look, and if you don't do these things, this is what will also happen. These will be the consequences of not walking in the ways of the Lord. So they have these provisions, they have these words, and they also have this command. They also have like Joshua, like this is now what you do, the command. They have, therefore, be strong, stay on course, don't turn to new gods, cling to God, sincerely love God, be careful to love God. So they have provision, they have reason, they have command, and they even God's people at the end of these chapters, they even have their own verbal agreements to keep going. You are witnesses against yourselves. It's like, Robert, you're going to hold me accountable to doing this thing? Yeah, sure, mate. I'll look after you. They'll be fine. We'll look after this thing together. Let's keep, they are witnesses against themselves. There's some peer accountability. There's a supportive community. This is great. They even have a written contract. Get out the tablets, get out the stones, write it down. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. They even have an immediate plan of action. Get rid of those foreign false gods that are like sneaking their way in. Joshua's seeing what's going on. They even have an immediate plan of action and they even have the stone, the statue of remembrance. What's left? I think they've covered it. I think they've covered it. I think if they were to ask their question, if they were sitting here today, so it's like, what do you think you need to be able to follow God in your life? Are Israelites be like, well, uh, right now we're sorted. Got the land, got the blessing, got the people, got the commands, got the peers, got the contract, got the stone. It's looking good. Now, I wonder what you're thinking right now as you hear the way that God's people have been set up at the end of these chapters. I wonder what you're thinking. Oh, gee, that would be nice. Oh, that's a written contract. That's a good idea. That's what I need to be following the Lord this week. Life would be so much better if I could. Life would be going so much better when I. I'd actually be able to do and commit to some of those Christian things. I'd finally start spending time with God in his words when I. If I could be less busy, then I commit to gathering to encourage with my church family better. Oh, look at those Israelites. I'd be able to start contributing to the church when I, if I could only just have, a, have this, live in, begin to do this, then I can be who God says that I should. 
I wonder if you have any personal when eyes, when I have, when I can, when I see this. Or I wonder if you have any of your, your unique if I coulds, if I could do this, if I could be less, if I could be more. I wonder what they are for you. Israel had it all. There was no more if I coulds when eyes. They had it all completely set, hot to trot, ready to go. And we could be tempted to think that that's how to get a faith life in order, isn't it? Get to these passages and end of Joshua. Yeah, actually, you know, need to get there. Can I tell you something? So come to these final verses, final chapters in Joshua. If you get to GC this week, And if you read these passages and you take out the one or two little bits that stand out to you and be like, yes, that's what I need to do so that my faith walk is going to be going better, that's wrong. Why would that be wrong? The Bible doesn't finish here. This is not where the Bible finishes. It's not after getting all of these things that then Israel are then swept up into the new heaven and and to have the new now perfect, holy, intimate, abiding, face-to-face relationship with God. It doesn't end here, does it? It's not when they get everything. It's not when they've committed to everything. It's not when they've received all the things that they think that they need. And this is where we need to remember a really important thing about when we open our Bibles to read these sections as we take them in isolation. We need to read the stories of the Bible within the context of the whole Bible story. Because do you know what happens next? Do you know the very next book of the Bible? Do you know your Bible? Do you know the history of the world? What happens next? This is what happens next. Judges, Judges 2. I'll read for us. Judges 2, 6 to 16. Joshua gets a mentioned in here, still taking the chronological history of God's people. Listen to this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, they each went to their inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And when the elders and all the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him. Going well while Joshua's around. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Next line, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went to other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies. One generation. God's goodness to Israel wasn't enough. God's provision wasn't enough. Their accountability between one another wasn't enough. Their written contract wasn't enough. If they would have called that stone into the court of law to be a witness, to stand, what would have that stone said? We'd like to call the next witness to the stand. Where are you, Mr. Stone, that was there at the contract of Israel's faithful promise and commitment to serve the Lord and not forsake him? Please take the stand. Oh, yeah, judge. They screwed up big time, didn't they? I saw it all. One generation, mate. Bowing down to bars now they are. Doesn't really affect me. I'm a rock. Joshua saw it coming, didn't he? Joshua saw it coming. We saw in our reading, Israel say to Joshua, oh, well, we're pretty well set up here, J-Dog. You know, where are we? We will not forsake the Lord. And what's Joshua's response to their, their promise? He pours cold water on their fiery enthusiasm, doesn't he? No, you can't. Verse 19, Joshua says to people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. See, Joshua is realistic. Joshua is honest. Joshua is prophetic. Joshua, I don't, think, I don't think it's a stretch to assume that leading up to this conversation at this moment that we read in chapters 23 and 24, that I, I think that actually Joshua has even begun to see the decline, that he's been doing the rounds of the promised land on his four-wheelie walker and he's noticed a few things. He would have seen the steady decline within that same generation. Parents no longer reading the word of God to their kids, telling the stories of God's faithfulness to them and the liberation out of the land of Egypt. The hailstones. The sun standing still. The stories being lost. Joshua would have seen the men devoting themselves to their work before their worship of God. Joshua would have seen the women. He would have heard of their slowly shifting conversations that would have been moving from building others up to then tearing them down behind their backs. Joshua, I'm sure, had already begun to see everyone slowly slipping down into the sleepy demise of Satan's distractions. Unfortunately, due to age, less of Joshua's presence was able to be be with his people. So therefore, there was going to be less obedience by the people. For the people of Israel, God's goodness to them alone wasn't enough. God's provision to them alone wasn't enough. Their accountability between one another was enough. Their written contract wasn't enough. The stone of remembrance wasn't enough. All these things for the Israelites, for them to be faithful and to be be sincere and to carefully love God and abide in his will, all of those things were useless. And for us, all of those things on their own will be useless for us too.
So what do we do with that? Well, let me tell you what we don't do with that. Don't get to your GC this week and go, yeah, the Israel really sucked. They Israelites, they sucked. Therefore, we need to try harder than the Israelites. Like honesty moment, like that would be impossible. That would be impossible to have a better experience than these Israelites. Like until you've eaten the manna from heaven, until you have walked through the Jordan on dry ground, until you have gone to war with hailstones and seen the sun stand still, until you have participated in this destruction of mighty armies far above your size and strength, then we'll talk. But the answer isn't try harder than the Israelites. Let's not fall into the trap of chronological snobbery, thinking that because of our Western culture, we now are more enlightened and more informed. What is it that we do? Where do, where do we go when we see the failure of God's people to walk faithfully? Where is it you will go? If you came today looking for hope to be someone who longs to walk in the promise, presence, presence and power of God, where is our hope for today? Well, stay with me on this. I would say there is hope. And it would start by saying this, keep reading. Keep reading. Keep reading past the book of Judges. But keep reading and keep noticing. Notice how this story, this pattern of God's glory and then God's mercy, God's deliverance, and then the people's failure again. And then God's glory, God's mercy, God's deliverance, God's deliverance, people's failure again. Notice how this pattern repeats itself through the Old Testament. It'll repeat itself as you keep reading. Notice King David. Oh, Israel, back on top again. Come on, mighty army. Yes. God's glory, God's mercy, God lifting up his people again, military might, national respect, power. And then notice again, failure, adultery, murder, cover-up, scandal, broken family. Notice that and keep reading. And then notice King Solomon, God's mercy, God's glory, God's lifting his people up again. Now divine wisdom, glorious riches and blessing like the world had never seen before. But then notice again, failure. Kingdom divided, tribes separated, worship of evil reintroduced. Keeps happening. But keep reading. Keep reading. Get to the end of the chronological account of the New Testament. Even get to Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember Ezra and Nehemiah? We had a recap time there too. God's mercy and glory again to his people. God lifting up his people again out of the exile to Babylon. And then God gives appointed leadership, favor, favor from neighboring countries. The temple is rebuilt. The holy, holy city is reestablished. The laws of God have been reintroduced back into the land. Then the people are back again to the same old selfish sin seeking behaviors. Again, they fail. Notice that. And notice how helpless human beings are at following God on their own. And keep reading. Keep reading until 
you begin to feel a longing for there to be a new and better way. Let the Old Testament help you see and sympathise with the state of humanity and see how the story of Israel is also your story. That you, like me, we keep failing in our own strength. That you too fail to do the things that God wants you to do. But keep reading. Keep reading until you get to Jesus. Read until you discover who stands at the centre of humanity. Read about the one who is before all things, who is above all things, who is beneath all things, and who all things are leading to. to. Keep reading until you meet him who is at the centre of it all. Keep reading until you meet Jesus who it is all about. Keep reading so that you can understand the story of Joshua within the context of the whole Bible story. Keep reading until you can see Jesus as the new and better Joshua. Remember Joshua, the one who modelled to the people what faithful service looked like? As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, who whilst he was alive, Israel had power not to fail. Like that was the refrain of the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua at the end. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Like Israel could live for God. It was all great until Joshua died. When Joshua leaves the frame, the Israelites lose their focus. That's one of the glorious things of the book of Joshua as you read and engage in it. You're like, wow, this is like, this is what happens when there is a a mighty leader leading the charge, God-appointed leadership. You follow in in, and trust in him and this is how well it goes. We are strong and courageous because our leader is the one who God says to him, be strong and courageous. Battles are won. Evil is overcome. Because God has his leader on the ground leading his people and we look to God's appointed leadership. But then take God's appointed leadership away and people will do what is right in their own eyes and it all goes down the toilet. Jesus, the new and better Joshua. Jesus who modelled to the world that life is that, that He modelled to the world a life that is perfectly in flow with God. And Jesus did everything that the Father asked him to do. Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done, God. And see this Jesus, this new and better Joshua, that although he does die, what happens? Three days later, rises again from the dead to never die again. He can appear to his friend John and he can say, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Why? So that as it says in the book of Jude, so that all those that would follow him would experience his power to keep us from falling. In the book of Joshua, the presence of Joshua made a difference for Israel. 
in the book of Joshua, the presence of Joshua, it made a difference to Israel, didn't it? Today, the presence of Jesus is what makes a difference in our life. Do you know that? It's modelled all through the Bible, the presence of Jesus. We saw it in Joshua. The presence of Joshua goes good. No Joshua, not so good. Jesus, the presence of Jesus goes good. The disciples, when Jesus is around, they are courageous. They're like drawing swords and cutting off servants' ears. When Jesus is not around, they are meek and timid, standing by the fire, and then a little girl's just like, aren't you with Jesus? Like, no, I'm not with Jesus. No. And then the disciples, with and without, that's the physical presence of Jesus, the disciples, with and without the spiritual presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, timid, scared. With the Holy Spirit, obedient and expectant. The Pharisee, Paul the Apostle, without the Holy Spirit, he is a murderous Pharisee. Meets Jesus, Holy Spirit changes him from the inside out. He becomes a faithful martyr. (laughs) The The presence of Jesus changes everything. I know that from my own story. Some young, self-reliant, longing for independence punk (laughs) enter in Jesus more and more every day. Without him, I am nothing. I used to be a great planner. I'll give you a set of goals. I'll tell you where I'm going. Now, my master plan is just follow the master. Meek Dependa. A young man who is seeking to move more and more from being wise in my own eyes to now to being Jesus. How would you engage this person, this situation, this purchase, this time allocation if you were me? And Jesus can be present in your life too. Do you know that? The experience of his existence, it comes today in the form of his Holy Spirit. How does this happen? How does this happen? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Is this, a, is this a special thing? Is this for the spiritual elite? No, just for the spiritually hungry. Jesus has been exalted at the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And today he continues to pour out the Spirit to all those who ask him and whoever would seek him. As Peter said to the crowds on the day of, of the day of Pentecost, as they were cut to the heart for their sin and for their known rejection of God, they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God, He is applied to you upon your joyful reception to the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. As it says in Ephesians 1, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is given to people through Jesus. 
to those who long to be empowered by him, just as Jesus taught. The heavenly father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Today, you can know the presence of Jesus by his spirit in your life today. If you ask in faith. Have you ever asked for that? What might change in your life if you did? Do you still want to ask? Jesus, he does not leave or forsake those who look for him. He gives them his spirit. But wait, there's more. Even more than God's supernatural presence to lead and to guide us. Even more than that. Even more, Jesus, who is God, who came and lived among us, he did that not only to show us the way to live. Jesus' life was so much more than a good moral example. Jesus lived as one of us so he could actually change us to have the holiness we needed so that we could confidently be one day swept up into the new heaven and earth to have a perfect, holy, intimate, abiding, face-to-face relationship with God and not the judgment, punishment and wrath of God. How does he do that? Colossians 1, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The Israelites didn't get any of that. Still waiting for that. They could have the company and the presence of Joshua, the Israelites, but even when he was present, they could never have his holy character or his inheritance. Not for us today. Now that Jesus has arrived, because Jesus is alive, it's better. There's a new and better way. We can simply look to Jesus, simply look to Jesus and believe in him. Look to him, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. He will start you off. He will keep you going and he will finish you off. And more than just his company and his presence, he can give you his holy character and he can give you his inheritance. What the theologians call the great exchange, that when he goes to the cross to die for your sin, that's what do you want is taking to the cross? Your sin. <laughs> He's taking it away. We are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And he credits to us his righteousness. That life that he perfectly lived in obedience to God, his death on the cross, it not only wipes the slate clean, but he puts on the slate everything that he ever did that was amazing, that was holy and that was perfect. He doesn't just put us back onto just, okay, now you're at neutral. He puts you in a position and he clothes you in such a state so that when God looks at you, he's like, wow, you remind me of Jesus. You look like just like Jesus. And all that sin, 
gone, dead, done. As the promise in the book of Hebrews says, God says, I will remember your sins no more. Oh, it's beautiful. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. I will remember your sins no more. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. What was I can't actually remember what that was. So I wonder then, if we cast our minds back a few minutes, for all of us that thought of living for God, that would be so much better when I, or if I could, did it include Jesus? My life for God will be different when I, if I could, did it include the new birth that only Jesus can provide for you by the gift of his Holy Spirit? Did that reflection include the intimacy of adoption as sons and daughters as given by the Holy Spirit? Did it include the forgiveness of sins through repentance, faith and baptism into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit? Did you include Jesus? Because Joshua shows us as we come to the end that you can have everything. But if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. All of the when I's, all of the if I could's, all of those things will do nothing for a soul that is dead to the things of God. We all need divine intervention. We all need someone to restore our soul. We all need Jesus. We can't rely on our verbal agreement alone. A proclamation of, I will not forsake you. That's not good enough. We need his verbal agreement. We need to go to him and hear him say, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. We need to hear him say, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. We need to hear his proclamation. Come to me, all who labor and weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not our proclamation. Lean on his proclamation. You need Jesus. Israel couldn't rely on their written contract. Neither can we. We need his written contract. We need to look to him. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3, it says, Such is the confidence, such is the confidence we have through Jesus Christ towards God. This is the confidence we have through Jesus Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, is anyone seeing a theme here? Is anyone seeing a theme here? We don't need a stone to remember or to witness against us and condemn us. We don't need a stone. We need Jesus as our cornerstone and our advocate to the Father. Peter writes, come to him, go to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen, but chosen by God and precious 
He is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Go to Jesus. Or as one John, John writes, he says, if any of you sin, if any of you do, he says, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if any of you do sin, we have an advocate. That's a lawyer. That's a mediator to the Father who will intercede for us. Who is that advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Go to Jesus. Let him speak for you. Let him intercede for you. Timothy reminds us of this as well. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You need Jesus. If you keep reading, that's what you'll read. What does it all mean? Stop striving for holiness and start receiving the gift of salvation. Believe in Jesus Christ and know that your salvation is secure. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Paul writes the Corinthians, we fix our eyes, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We enter into God's family through trusting in Jesus, in Jesus' work to cleanse us with our sole contribution being to that, on, to that ongoing participation, our sole contribution being is just us looking to Jesus and saying, you've seen all of me and yet you still love me. You would forgive me and give me a fresh start. You would do that for me? That's unbelievable. What? That's how we start. That's how we come into the family of faith, this weird hybrid emotion of remorse for our sin and our powerless to change, and yet our rejoicing in the grace of God that we can rely on His grace to save us. We look to Jesus. And then as we throw ourselves upon the neck of God the Father in joy and in gratitude when we return home, as we do that for the first time, the Spirit of the living God, the same Spirit that animated and gave vibrancy to Jesus Christ, He will give you this deep down awareness that you are a child of the living God. His love will fill you. His power will work in you and your strength will be renewed. You will be lifted up. You will be buoyant because of the unfathomable blessing and love that God has shown to you. It says in Romans 8, how do you know if you have the Spirit of God? How do you know? You were able to say with such a great confidence and peace and reassurance in your heart, it's like, I'm a child of God. And then as you keep marching through life, as so many of us are trying to march through life, stumbling forward, holding on by our fingernails, daily going one day at a time, trying to hold on to Jesus' promises of do not be anxious about tomorrow because you do not know what tomorrow brings. How do we keep going? Well, just as we started, remember how we started? 
We entered into God's family through trusting in Jesus' work to cleanse us with our sole contribution being what? You've seen me, you've seen all of me, and yet you still love me and you would forgive me and give me a fresh start. You would do that for me. That's unbelievable. What do we do as we keep marching forward? Well, we trust in Jesus' work, not only to save us, but to keep us with our sole contribution to that being our ongoing participation with him of us saying, you still see all of me and you still love me. You would forgive me again and give me a fresh start again. You would do that for me. That's unbelievable. The mystery of our faith. That is the mystery of our faith. That is the hope of our faith. The power of our faith is that our power to persevere is not our power. Ephesians 2 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. It's not about your when I's or if I could. Don't forget how you started off in God's family. It's like Paul has to write to the Galatian church because they start so well, depending and having received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then they make all their stupid man-made plans. All of the when I's and the if I could's and they start rearranging everything so they can now be this new, now keep going. It's like Paul's just like, what? He's like, did you receive the spirit by what you did and planned and figured out for yourselves? Or did you, did you receive it by hearing and then believing and having faith? So he goes, like, guys, logically, if you're going to keep going on in the family, if you began your new life by the spirit, why then would you think that God would leave you alone to do the rest yourself? It's not good news anymore. God's not getting any glory from that anymore. We trust God. We look to Jesus. We put our confidence in him. We still fight sin. We will still fight sin. Like, Like we're not meant to be lazy. We're still clinging to God. We still put ourselves in postures to experience God. We still put in effort. Like effort in a relationship is a good thing, isn't it? Husbands, this week, put effort into loving your wives. Wives, vice versa. But putting effort in to serve your spouse or your friends, it's not something, you don't do that because you're trying to get something from them. Is it? A lot of marriages are in trouble if that's... We put in effort because we love who that person is and the way they make us feel when we are both at our best. And God is always giving you his best. So Israel with Joshua, they did great until they took Joshua out of the picture. You and me today with Jesus will be fine. 
But take Jesus out of the picture, out of your priorities, and you will feel empty. You will feel powerless. What is it that you think you need to be able to follow God in your life? You know, you could have everything. The land, the promises, the contract, personal accountability. But Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I want to close today with some questions for some different type of people that I think are here today. Maybe you already know what you need to do. I trust that God has already revealed that to some of you. For the rest of us, though, please let me ask you a few questions so we can respond corporately as a church. First question is, do you know Jesus really? Second question is, have you experienced receiving the gift of his Holy Spirit and felt that deep sense of forgiveness, freedom, love, and the smile of God on your life, despite who you knew yourself once to be? Are you someone that has responded in trust to Jesus' call, come and see and follow me? Are you someone that wants to? I suspect that for many, to consider those questions means different things for different people. For some of you, you are confident that you are remaining in the love of God. I haven't said anything new to you today. You're encouraged that you've come to a church where it's at least being said. You are someone that feels secure in the gospel. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you are confident in the one whom you love and whom you are following. If that's you, firstly, be encouraged. You are being kept in the love of God, but I would love to also take an opportunity to challenge you and to ask you, who are you leading? Who are you helping to know Jesus in your unique season of life of spiritual fervency? How are you fanning into flame the gifts of the Holy Spirit in you to serve Jesus' mission, which is happening here on the surf coast? Serving him doesn't have to be flashy, just has to be faithful. That's the first person. Maybe that's you. For others of you, some of you feel that you Today, you need to come back to Jesus. You've realized today that you've got a big list of when I's and if I could's. And today, the Holy Spirit is simply saying, get back to Jesus. Get back to your first love. Put yourself again in those places that you once loved being so you can experience him and live again in his love. 
If that is you, I would encourage you today to own up to that sin of self-sufficiency. Confess to God is that, that that is what you were believing before today. And I would encourage you to today to commit to doing again that thing that God is saying to you right now. Where have you been? We had such sweet times together. Come back so that you can simply look upon Jesus again. And lastly, some of you, maybe, maybe you've realized that today, that up to today, what you've called faith in Jesus has actually been an Israelite style of a powerless pursuit of spiritualist striving in your own strength. And today you've come to realize that actually you want, actually you need to trust in Jesus the way God says to trust in Jesus which is simply looking to Jesus and saying, you've seen all of me and yet you still love me. And you would forgive me and give me a fresh start? You would do that for me? That's unbelievable. If that's you and today maybe you want to really get to know Jesus for the first time and ask for him to give you his spirit so you can stop striving to only fail again, you can do that today. So that's three types of people that maybe that's resonating with you. Maybe you're one of those people. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.